What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had an incredible, incredible time sitting down with Bethany Hamilton and her husband Adam Dirks. Pro surfer Bethany Hamilton. Inspiration. Bethany Hamilton. To talk about Bitcoin and a little bit of surfing. I thought it was going to be like, a, hey, let's talk surfing. Uh, and, and how it relates to Bitcoin. We did a little bit of that towards the end of the episode, but it turned into uh, Bethany and Adam turning the tables on me and asking me Bitcoin 101 questions. Let me know how I did, freaks. Uh, it was it was a fun episode. I think you guys are going to like it. Let me know how my pitch is, whether or not I need to work on it, simplify it. Did my best. My wife's still not happy. This app was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash Cash up somebody stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 because sats are the standard. It's 100 million sats in one whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of Bitcoin. You can buy whole sats as little as $1 on the Cash App. DCA in the sats. Dollar cost average. We're going back and forth. I'm not going to say every two weeks anymore. If somebody reached out to me in DMs, it's all, every two weeks has always been bi-weekly. Do not budge. Matt, I'm not budging. You can... <laughs> DCA and it's at the daily, weekly, or bi-weekly using the Cash App. That's every two weeks for for those not in the know. Uh, they also have the boost card. You can personalize it. I got my neon green boost card, my, my Bitcoin and my, my lightning side on it. Really dope conversation starter. Uh, Cash App would be your bank account, offering account numbers, rounding numbers, and get your paychecks direct deposited into the app, and a bunch of other stuff. Their boost program as well. Go check it out if you haven't downloaded the app yet. Make sure you use the code StackingSats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. This rep was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you a lending product. If you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, you don't want to give it up, you need liquidity, you put your Bitcoin up as collateral using Lend. At Hoddle Hoddle. Lend is the, the lending platform at Hoddle Hoddle. And it's a new non custodial Bitcoin backed lending platform that allows peer to peer lending and borrowing between users globally, anonymously, and on your own terms. No KYC, no AML. Available to US citizens because it's non custodial. How is it non custodial? They leverage Bitcoin's native multi sig properties to create a multi sig escrow in which you hold one key, your counterparty holds one key, and Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. You always have. Uh, the ability to make sure that your sats are in that multi-sig wallet so you know they're not being rehypothecated. You put your Bitcoin in there, you get stable coins in return, and as long as you're paying back that loan that you received, you're going to get your Bitcoin back at the end of the loan. And you can, again, make sure it's not being rehypothecated. If you're short of funds and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, think of this. Multi-sig escrow remains locked in there. Your counterparty has a key. Uh, a hodl hodl has a key. You have a key. And if you have some stable coins laying around you want to get some yield on those, Enter the other side of the order book, order book, put them up to be lent out. You get, you get, you put them up to get be lent out. You get a key in that multi-sig, make sure the Bitcoin's there. You lend out your stable coins and you get paid with a little bit of interest for loaning them out. Create your own offers and set your own terms at lend.hodlhodl.com. That's L-E-N-D dot H-O-D-L, H-O-D-L dot com. Again, this one's available for American citizens. Go check it out. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to simplify mining for individuals. It's a hard thing. Acquiring a miner, finding cheap electricity. A lot of people go in secondary markets, buy used miners, plug it into their house at 14 cents a kilowatt hour. It's not really economical. Compass Mining is here to get individuals into the mining game at competitive electricity costs. All right, so what you do is you go to compassmining.io, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. You purchase a miner. They have uh, different models. You pick your model that you want. You purchase it. Compass acquires it for you. And then uh, after you purchase your miner, you pick a hosting facility. Uh, with, again, with competitive electricity costs. So you pick your miner. You buy your miner. You pick your hosting facility. Set that contract up. Compass gets the miner, plugs it in that hosting facility, and starts streaming you sats to a wallet of your choice. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Go check it out, compassmining.io. We actually have a, a specific link in the show notes if you want to support the show and you're thinking about using Compass, if you use the link in the show notes, um, that would that would help us out and help us stack some sets. Uh, last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. Brains is the team behind Slush Pool. Slush Pool's pretty dope. First ever mining pool. Ever heard of it? 
mining pools ever heard of them pretty important for the bitcoin industry but here we're here to talk about the brains os plus manager which is an online platform that allows miners to remotely monitor and manage all their asics running brains os plus this can help miners improve uptime and keep their farms running optimally without the hassle of needing to be on site 24 7 eliminate the hassle make sure you're running brains os firmware which allows you to stack more sats with your hash <sighs> And then run this manager, and you don't have to be on site 24-7. The manager is also free and always will be free for Brains OS Plus miners, and uh, they can connect it to an unlimited number of devices. And you, you can monitor it on your phone, your laptop, your tablet, whatever tickles your fancy, whatever gets you all hot and bothered at the end of the day. Security and efficiency were top priorities. Brains OS Plus manager uses Stratum V2 for smaller and less frequent data transfers with all ASIC configuration and telemetry data being sent via encrypted connections, which protect against eavesdropping and man-in-the-middle attacks. Protect yourself from hash rate hijacking. Make sure your hash is going and producing for you and not some hacker. For details on the matter and how to set it up with your mining operation, go to brains.com slash blog. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S-double-I. Don't forget the double I. Dot com slash blog and check out the Brains OS Plus Manager launch article. Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com blog. Brains OS Plus Manager launch. Slush Pool is also getting uh, its first major update soon. We've been saying this for like weeks now. What's happening, Slush Pool? The update hasn't been launched just yet, but I can tell you that it's going to include ultra-flexible payout systems, uh, customizable mining reward splitting and best of all dark theme for 24 7 hash rate monitoring that's easy on the eyes protect your eyes follow slush underscore pool on twitter to see the announcement when the pool update goes live and enjoy this episode with bethany and adam again i had a lot of fun doing this uh being put on the spot to do bitcoin 101 not easy but you got to practice enjoy You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. And now we're recording. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Very excited for this episode. Uh, sitting down with Bethany Hamilton and Adam Dirks to talk about Bitcoin surfing, whatever it may be. I'm fanboying a bit right now. We we're just talking uh, before we hit record. Uh, the hat I'm wearing, Surfer Supplies, is uh, from your dad's hometown, which is pretty crazy, Bethany. Yeah. So my dad grew up where kind of near where you live, um, Ocean City, New Jersey, and the hat you're wearing is um, probably one of his first jobs. I'm not exactly sure, but he definitely worked there at some point. So did ding repair there for yeah. years. Instead. <laughs> he's still a ding repair man. Yeah, he does my ding repair now. <laughs> what what kind of repair? What kind of repair? Ding repair. Yeah, surfboard oh, like repair. Oh, for surfboards, yeah. you know, they yeah. get like dings <laughs> in them. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the reason we're here is because you've got laser eyes on Twitter and you wrote an incredible piece called The Silver Lining, explaining how you fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole uh, last year with the lockdowns forced to, to stay. I'm not able to travel um, the world to, to find waves. And, and you, you saw the money printing going on and you know, we're like, what the hell's going on here? And sort of discovered Bitcoin that way. And uh, one of the books that stuck out to you was Thank God for Bitcoin. And you're sort of on this journey um, so definitely want to talk about that experience, but also uh, I understand you guys have some questions. Want to go over some Bitcoin one on one stuff, so we can definitely do that as well. So I'm very excited for this. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're stoked to be here. Um, it's been a cool year of like learning about Bitcoin and going down that that just trying to grasp and understand it. And I think my brother has actually been a fan for like. Five a long years. Time. He's been like he said. He's been telling us about it. But he's we, been telling us, but we we had no idea. We like, never what heard what about? he said. We yeah. just went in one ear out the other. And I think because like he's my older brother, it's just like who like you're crazy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm, or our younger sister rebellion. Um, I'm that older brother, so I've. I've but now that. I'm in his shoes of like trying to communicate 
And I'm realizing like, oh my gosh, I just sound like my older brother right now. Just like telling, <laughs> trying to tell people that they just, it goes in when you're out the other and they just yeah. think, they just tell me like all the things that are kind of like the ba- the most basic understanding or lack of understanding um, are, is like the common responses. So I was, I just, yeah, it'd be really cool to kind of go back and forth. Like you can share some of your knowledge. We'll just share a little bit of our journey. And Adam's definitely been at the forefront and yeah. Yeah, been trying to learn. yeah I feel like this last year, I mean, before this last year happened, it, I feel like with most things in life, especially with like faith and it, like it's funny how like faith and Bitcoin kind of intertwine because it almost takes a rock bottom moment in your life to kind of like realize like, you know, it's all butterflies and rainbows, everything's going really good. And then it took something really gnarly to happen and to realize like, whoa, everything's really not okay. Like there needs, there's, Uh, just so much going on in the world that we're not seeing. And then like when your eyes are open, you're like, okay, we need to do something about this. And where, where can we go? What can we do to like not only help our situation, but how can we help others as well in their times of times of need and trouble? So that's kind of like the beginning of what, what began our journey um, into looking into Bitcoin, kind of like how we talked about that in the silver lining it yeah. probably should have been the orange lining. We contemplated calling like, it the orange lining. After I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> people are probably cringing on silver right now. Yeah. It's whatever. And the message was uh, just as good no matter the uh, title <laughs> yeah, of the post. But was there like a particular event that happened last year? I mean, obviously the lockdowns happened, but were you noticing the Fed printing all this money or was it the, the money, the stimulus checks? Was there anything particular that? Yeah, like. Personally, our financial like um, well-being went like basically all our income got cut in maybe half or less mm-hmm. at one point. And that was like we weren't ready for that. We weren't like prepared necessarily. We were OK, but it kind of was like, whoa, what if something like this happens and continues, you know, then then what do we do? So we started to just kind of feel from a personal standpoint, like how can we get out of this situation um, or prepare in the future for just being in a healthier place? Um, And then seeing the amount of money being printed, I think it was like 25% of all the money ever printed in the last like 18 months and I don't know if everyone understands like what that does to the U.S. dollar in particular and so we started to kind of run down that and try to figure that out and how that looks and I'm still like I keep telling my friends like your money is not like your savings in particular are not safe in the U.S. dollar but they keep saying like the opposite yeah well it's one of those things, right? It, uh, one of the, I guess, adages that people fall back on when they're trying to describe Bitcoin and more particularly money specifically is people, we just go through life, we were born and you're running and you're, you're just going on. You never stop to think about, wait, wait, what is money? Like you just take it for granted, right? And I think it's safe to say that, that around the world, I don't want to say around the world, there's definitely a place like Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, um, Lebanon, where people are like, all right, like we really need to figure out what's money, but particularly here in the Western world for, for quite a while, we've uh, had the privilege of being able to be complacent. not really have to question what money is or, or its purpose, or more importantly, what a good money should look like and being able to identify that. And so I think last year with the 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 M2 money stock going up by 25% what took literally 108 years um to to get to one point and then it was uh, you had a 25% of that 108 year effort in the course of 12 months it's it's pretty jarring where it, it begins to shake people like oh maybe we should be paying attention to this and it's a good sign that more and more people are um it's pretty pretty heavy what's going on but uh, to solve a problem you first have to identify it and it seems like more and more people are starting to identify it yeah and it's something that i feel like in the, in our schools and education system like it's not something that's being taught and i i like 
Jimmy in his book, um, Thank God for Bitcoin. And we recently met up with Robert Breedlove and talking to him and he brought up a good point. Like you can go to college and all these financial classes and they don't talk about, like you almost talk about how the current financial system is like a deity. You don't question it. Like it, 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 what it is, it is, <laughs> but it's like, oh man, there's a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. I majored in economics in college and didn't learn a thing about money or like how it was just the uh, monetary policy it was yeah. Keynesian monetary policy specifically it was what we were taught, but we never got down to talking about actual monetary goods and the properties they should have saleability, fungibility, divisibility, um, and relative scarcity um that was never mentioned in in my four year uh that's so that. interesting what, what's your take on that why do you think they weren't <sighs> I, t I try not to like be pessimistic but like there's like a there's like a, a a concerted effort to make sure that people don't know what's going on i think right. and the way the current monetary system set up is like cash and money doesn't really uh, isn't really important to the academic economists that are in charge. They're more worried about like you know, manipulate interest rate targeting and stuff like that, and uh, uh, supply side um, factors that um, they they don't think it's important. So they don't, in terms of uh, being integral for an economy, they think the, the ability to manipulate that stuff uh, makes the the actual monetary good irrelevant, and so they don't focus on it at all. And so you don't learn about it until. You graduate college and you fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you're like, wait a second, this makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I mean, know. Yeah, yeah. It just like all the qualities of Bitcoin just seem to like check mark, check mark, like check off everything that that monetary um, a financial system should have and should be. And yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. At the same time, it's so mind stretching because it's like, why do we find value in in this digital, mathematical? I don't even know how to like. It's a solution in a sense, but like, and I get why we find value in it, but someone might be like, "Whoa, well, what if I had a huge slab of gold like in my backyard? Like I could like chip away at that or something. It's very like unsustainable, but I'm just saying like, I could look at gold and think like, wow, gold is so beautiful. I can like tangibly feel it um, and look at it and see its beauty or like wear it, you know, as jewelry. Um, whereas like, and then at the same time, there's so much movement towards modern technology. So it's like we should be embracing some aspects of modern technology, right? Yeah. Like that's why I, like for my parents or even my friends, like they just they don't get it like because it's so tech and mathematically driven and hard to even comprehend. Like, why would you put, you know? your life savings in that, or sorry, maybe not life savings, maybe the 1% you're not willing to lose. That life savings for me, at least I'm kidding. <laughs> <Life savings. laughs> yeah. I figured life savings, but. So when, uh, when trying to describe Bitcoin, I like to break it down into two parts. You have Bitcoin, the network, and then you have Bitcoin, the asset, the token, right? And, and Bitcoin, the network uh, is what enables Bitcoin, the token to accrue value, right? Because Bitcoin, the network is distributed. Individuals running nodes around the world allows you to act in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. And that, uh, in and of itself, the network and the distributed nature of it is uh, has incredible value in terms of being able to actually move money across the world because it, it allows you to make transactions that they don't want you to make. Uh, who is they? Like the, the entrenched financial uh, system, global financial system across the world. And so... And so not focusing on like drug dealers or people trying to buy assassinations on the internet, but like focusing on uh, which <laughs> Bitcoin certainly enables that use case, but it also enables people in Venezuela and Argentina, Lebanon to escape and hyperinflation. So I like to tell a personal story. My wife, when we were living in New York City, she worked with, um, uh, she had a very good friend at work who was from Venezuela and her mother um, was back in Caracas and had no access to money. didn't have enough money to um, pay for some medical supplies. And my wife's friend wasn't able to actually wire her money because there's sanctions um, against Venezuela from the U S government. So 
the only way she could actually get money to her mother in a timely manner was to use Bitcoin, the network to actually use the rails of Bitcoin in a peer to peer fashion to send it from herself to her parents in Venezuela so that they can then liquidate it locally, locally to buy medical goods. So that network aspect of it has extreme value in terms of peers being able to interact without a third party intermediary in the middle, somebody uh, with subjective sanctions. Uh, there, there's a good argument to be made that a lot of the regulations and sanctions that are thrust on the traditional monetary system from corrupt governments aren't really just. And so Bitcoin allows you to route around that. So that network property has extreme value um, in the sense that it is an innovation of a, a protocol that allows you to exchange value where the internet's an open protocol that allows you to ex exchange information. Bitcoin's a similar protocol that allows you to exchange value. Um, let me know if I'm getting too yeah. far into the weeds here. No, no. That's... Do you think that did a good job? Was that basically answering how does Bitcoin work? That was one of the questions I got from my friends. So, yeah, well, that that, that explains the <laughs> value proposition. How that, um, how that networking actually happens, or how that peer to peer uh, value prop is enabled is again individuals like myself right down here next to my computer. I have my node running. Um, and so I have the rules of Bitcoin. I have the full ledger, the history of the Bitcoin ledger on my computer. So I save that as a file on my computer and I have a copy of it. And tens of thousands of people across the world are similar are doing similar things where they have their computer, they have their copy of the ledger. And so that makes Bitcoin extremely robust in where if somebody were to come to my house and throw out my computer, you know, a policeman or somebody like that, like Bitcoin would survive because there's thousands of other people uh, with the state of the network around the world, geographically dispersed. So they can't, uh, it's ha extremely hard to kill Bitcoin, the peer to peer network. People will be able to broadcast transactions, whether or not my node um, gets destroyed or confiscated from somebody. Um, so the way it works is these nodes basically have the rules of Bitcoin. They have the, the history of the Bitcoin ledger. Um, uh, and when somebody broadcasts a transaction, so I broadcast a transaction from my node, it goes out to another node, it says, hey, Marty's trying to send a Bitcoin transaction to Bethany. Uh, the node checks to make sure that transaction is within the rules of Bitcoin at any given point in time, and that I actually have the Bitcoin to send to you. It says, all right, this is, uh, this is a good transaction, it's following the rules, and then it propagates it to other nodes. And then those nodes basically uh, signal to miners or mining Bitcoin, and we'll get into mining later, but we'll, we'll keep it one-on-one right now. Say, hey, these people are trying to send transactions. Um, if you, they're, they're playing by the rules, they actually have the Bitcoin. So if you make a block, you could include these transactions in that block. And so the miners, as they're building blocks, will gather those transactions and then that. And say, all right, these guys are playing by the rules, their transaction gets added on the block, and then they start building another block. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no it's uh, like the peer-to-peer -peer is like crucial and like so like life-giving and freeing i feel like like what we've heard about recently what's happening in el salvador we've we've surfed down there a couple times kind of like similar stories what you're talking about like hearing about bitcoin beach happening in el salvador where that community is able to transact and like kind of come out from underneath the inflationary currency that they're like stuck under and they they're able to, I mean, it's like, it's, I had my mind thinking with like all these like big market corrections happening now and like, oh man, those poor people, like their value. But if everyone is using the same currency, they're all using the same Bitcoin. They're all like, it doesn't matter, I guess you'd say, because they're still transacting in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, like communities that are like Bitcoin based like that in El Salvador. No, I think it's really like what they're doing in El Zante is really cool. We've had Mike, uh, who started Bitcoin Beach on the podcast before, and the way he's explaining what they're doing down there and the way they're experimenting is incredible to see. It, it proves that, that Bitcoin works for people who need it. Um, in terms of like volatility, and Mike uh, explained this on the podcast, like people um, using Bitcoin in places like El Zante understand that it has uh, volatility, price volatility when priced uh, in, in fiat currency, mainly US dollars. So they'll 
they'll act accordingly, no, having that in mind. Like, hey, this Bitcoin is going to be volatile, so I'll scrape off uh, a bit into cash for what I need um, to make sure that I don't go bust. Um, but other than that, I'm going to hold as much as possible. And speaking to Bitcoin's volatility, it makes sense. Like the world is trying to uh, accurately price a, a new monetary good for the digital age in real time. It's only 12 years old. You're not going to get perfect usability, distribution, and um, price stability out of the box. It's going to take time. So like the price is like an index on people's confidence in Bitcoin uh, at any given point in time. But if you've been paying it, if you look at a chart over 12 years, that confidence has been going up and to the right. But there, obviously there are um, steep uh, rises and declines uh, along the way, but that's just due to, that's due to the nature that people are trying to accurately, accurately price this and, and the fact that it's really scarce. So uh, the scarcity of the token itself um, creates these liquidity crunch situations, particularly because a lot of people like to trade Bitcoin on margin. So they'll overextend themselves. And when the price drops between a certain point it'll it'll trigger what are known as cascading margins so people who are making outrageous bets on whether or not bitcoin will go up um they get they get margin called and that makes the price go down a little bit quicker but as we're mm -hmm. seeing today like that's that's yeah. what probably happened today a bunch of people were trading on margin and got called down to thirty thousand dollars and now we're stabilizing around 40 it seems nice i wanted to go back kind of like to so why we need or why Bitcoin could become like, or it already is really beautiful, but it could become and grow to be even more like essential for life. And I guess kind of going back to, you know, a lot of my friends aren't necessarily questioning the financial system and we haven't been taught that. I mean, I knew nothing about finances um, at 19 years old, let alone 25 by the time I turned 30 was when we started to start like really figuring things out more because of necessity and responsibilities to be taken care of. But a lot of my friends, they're not like thinking saving long term or, you know, trying to get out from underneath that. Like, I yeah. don't know. No, it's like people are like living day to day. It's normal. Yeah. It's normal to have debt. It's normal to just kind of, Go with the flow of what's what's happening around us. So, like, is that what you're? Kind yeah, of I just yeah. like I want to answer is, some of the questions yeah. that people have. That you know, like I have my friends. They ask like, why is Bitcoin better than altcoins? Um, you know, because a lot of altcoins can move a lot faster. Um, one friend asked, why is it better than stocks? I was like, well, that's going back to like understanding what's wrong with the U.S. dollar to begin with. Um, and how much is, I don't know, I don't want to be so negative, but there is some truth in that, like the root of all evil comes from money in a sense, a lot of it, at least um, from a Christian perspective. The love of there, money. You know, there, yeah, the love of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The love of money. Yeah. Yeah. So I think getting everyone to just like start like trying to pay attention, like where's the money coming from and where is it going and like why and how has that changed over the last 50 years? And um, just to really question and not just accept everything as like necessity or normal or okay or, um, you know, I just feel like the government's doing a lot of things and I don't want to like hate on the government so much, but I also feel like in five, 10 years from now, all the money printing, and today, all the money printing that went on in the last 18 months is gonna hugely affect everyone. Yeah, no, I think it's important that you said 50 years particularly, because that's oh, going, back, it. going back to 1971 when we and uh, Richard Nixon officially separated uh, the US from the gold standard, any remnants that, that we had to the gold standard. and. So I would argue, yes, the, the money printing has been pretty aggressive over the last year, but the effects of money printing since 1971 have actually been pretty pervasive throughout society. There's a great site out there to anybody who wants to learn um, about the effects of money printing, um, or potential effects of money printing. You can't exactly say it was the exact cause, but I have a very strong inclination that it was the cause. You get a WTF happened in 1971, 
which is when we broke off the the gold standard. And what you'll see since then is uh, uh, it's forced um, forced uh, like you can't raise a family off a single income anymore. So you need both parents working, being away from kids, uh, their kids to to actually be able to provide a life for them. For most people, um, you you had uh, like the, the cost going up pretty considerably over time, particularly in education, um, healthcare, um, and real estate, uh, three, uh, not real estate so much, but, uh, education, healthcare, strongly subsidized by the government and money printing. I mean, education specifically a university system. Um, the, the fact that the government just gives out very low cost loans for, to anybody who wants them and naturally going to, make the the price of, of university go up because the, the schools are just like, all right, the government's giving out these loans, we can raise our prices and but that prices people out of the market. So and, and this has been a slow like death by a thousand slices over the course of five decades, slowly but surely they've been printing more and more money um, and backing themselves into a corner where they're accruing a bunch of debt and to um, get themselves out of that corner, they, they have to print more and more money. So we're seeing uh, the f- them have to print 25% of the total monetary base, um, and then two, uh, money stock in, in one year. So how does Bitcoin compare to that? And so under that system where the government and the central bank in conjunction, so I'd say the treasury and the central bank federal reserve work together to expand the monetary base. And when they do that, they're basically expanding the pie. So if you have a, a wage, an hourly wage where you're making 15 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, if they're printing more and more money, you're still making 15 bucks an hour. And so the more money that enters the system devalues your $20 an hour and decreases the purchasing power of that $20. An hour. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting this year. They didn't raise the um, minimum wage price along with the, all the printing. So people are really going to be getting pushed down and down and more down. Yeah. yeah I thought, yeah, and with like Jimmy and that that group of authors with Thank God for Bitcoin, like they did such an incredible job, like going all the way back. They didn't even talk about Bitcoin to like the last couple of chapters, but like going back to the history of like of how the government from the time of history was essentially manipulating and debasing currencies, whether that was like th- through by minting it and and smelting down different types of metals into their into their coins and then and it just it continually happens it's like it's inevitable like uh, so yeah i i know bethany doesn't want to like bash government but it's like too big (laughs) we we see through it all like we've seen it through like not only we've been on the journey like years ago seeing through like we take our health into our own hands like we we don't we have government intervention into our, into our health should just shouldn't happen. And so like, when we see like, when it clicked for us to see like the government intervention in the financial realm, it was like, Oh, of, of course, of course this is happening there too. Cause it's already, it was already in our minds with everything else. But, um, yeah. And there, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. It's like, yeah, there's just uh, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's the intervention. It has, unequal effects across society, right? So there's there's this idea called the Kantian effect in uh, monetary economics, where the people closest to the spigot of money creation, which is the Federal Reserve, and then the way they distribute their money is they have what's called the Fed window, where all the primary uh, members, which are commercial banks like JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and other entities get access to the newly printed money first. And so mm. the way money's created, the Fed, goes um the treasury will issue treasuries and the fed will buy and then the banks will buy those treasuries or simplify more treasury issues treasuries and then ends up on the fed's balance sheet and they create dollars to get those treasuries and they give those dollars to the banks and when that happens at that point basically the the banks have first access to the money so they have unequal access to the the information flow particularly around money where they get the money and then uh, this is why you're seeing like stock prices at all times. They're able, they're able to put it into assets, financial assets, mm-hmm. particularly that mostly only wealthy people own or more well-off people, higher upper middle class to, to extreme, well, extremely wealthy people. They, they get the money and then they put it to these financial assets and those financial assets go up in value on paper. 
um, making those people rich and they can cash that out for cash and the money doesn't percolate to uh, the middle class, lower class. Um, and by the time it does, prices have gone up because there's more dollars in the system. And so um, the, the money printing, the way it actually happens, the mechanism of how it flows from the Fed through the Fed window to the primary dealers that have access to that window, it gives them undue advantage compared to the little man who's working for $20 an hour and doesn't have that type of financial access. So those people, I would actually argue that's an immoral monetary system because it, it favors those closest to the spigot of money creation um, and, and really drives inequality at the lower end of society, where again, people are in the hamster wheel making $20 an hour, and yet the people at the top are getting free access at very low interest rates to newly printed money. And then they can just drive it into assets and use those assets as collateral to, to buy other things. Um, and more Bitcoin, it's different, right? It's, it's, there's no Federal Reserve that's, that's actually deciding whether to expand the, the monetary base of manipulated interest rates. Like it's written in stone and anybody can participate in it. Anybody has the ability to plug a miner in and contribute to the, the addition of blocks to the Bitcoin ledger um, and therefore uh, access to newly distributed Bitcoin via the protocol. Um, and so that, that completely changes the game where instead of having one very centralized entity controlling when money is created, you have like theoretically the ability for anybody in the world to participate in the production of new Bitcoin blocks and therefore the distribution of Bitcoin throughout the, the, the Bitcoin monetary network, if you will. No, I think that's beautiful because like Bitcoin can become that tool where like the problem is like we have, it seems like we almost have like too big of a government and like the original intention of government was like serve to serve us and be like a tool for us, like, you know, help us build roads and put in infrastructure. But then it just got just an avalanche of power and wealth. And I feel like Bitcoin is kind of like that tool for for the everyday man to come and like kind of gain some of that sovereignty back. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's calling back uh, civil liberties and autonomy like from the government in the digital age. And, and that's the other thing, like money should be a market driven good market driven asset. Like you should have, have the market coalesce on what is a good monetary good for thousands of years, gold and sometimes silver or those goods. The market just said, Hey, this, this gold, it's scarce, it's divisible, it's transportable, um, uh, it doesn't tarnish. Like, this is a good money. And the market decided that. There was no government that said gold is the money. There were obviously governments that issued gold tokens and silver tokens, um, but they always coalesced on this, this market-driven um, uh, commodity in gold as, as like a good money where today it's just literally like, trust us, like we're going to print these U.S. dollars uh, and it's backed by the full faith of the u.s government and so how much faith do people have in the u.s government is um is a very big question that we have to uh, come to grips with right now and um and as they print more and more money they're 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 losing uh, credibility if you will it's like all right like you're printing all this money yeah i wonder like how do you think the u.s dollar will fare and like you know it's kind of been the front runner for a long time now do you think it will continue to be? Uh, I mean, I think so for the foreseeable future. I don't know. That's ah, Bethany, you're asking. It's hard. To, it's really <laughs> interesting to think about. I mean, that's going down a whole nother like. So I, I read a lot of monetary history, particularly around hyperflationary events. And what scares me. So I wrote a newsletter in April of last year. I read daily newsletter about Bitcoin and macroeconomics. In a, pri in a prior life, I was... Um, uh, I worked for Managed Futures Fund as an analyst, and we traded currencies. And so, been pretty involved in in the macroeconomic uh, news scene. They're just following it for for over a decade now, which is hard to believe. Um, but uh, where was I going with this? The I completely forget where I was going with this. We, we have your newsletter, by the way. We we, we oh. get your news. I don't read it very often, but you know, I get the emails sometimes if the yeah. headline catches me, I click. It. <laughs> Thank you. I remember where I was going though. It's like some monetary history. And last year I wrote a newsletter and I said, Hey, um, what the US government is doing, what the global 
the, the governments in conjunction around the world were doing right now. They're based, well, let's focus on the U.S. What the U.S. government did, forced lockdowns, um, and then promised everybody they're going to print money and put it in their bank accounts. Uh, and, and noticing that, so on like April 17th of last year, every newsletter, like, history is beginning to rhyme because it's very similar to what they did in the Weimar Republic right before they had their hyperinflationary event. So in the Weimar Republic, it wasn't exactly the same. Wait, was that England? No. Germany. 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 Okay, okay. Yeah, so right after World War One, Germany lost the war and they owed they owed the Allied forces reparations. And the Allied forces said you can't pay us in marks, like you need to pay us in gold or good currency. Um, and the Weimar Republic was falling behind on their payments. And as a result, um, France came and occupied a part of their republic and said, we're going to stay here until you pay us back. And the leaders of the Weimar Republic at that time went to their factory workers and said, don't go to work. We're not, we're not working for these guys. Like what we're going to do is we're just going to print money and give it to you. Um, and it's not the exact same thing. We don't have an occupying force in America and, and the government saying, don't go to work because we don't want to pay these guys. But we had COVID happen and you shut down all the businesses and you don't let people go to work. And then you print money and put it in their bank accounts. It's not exactly the same, but it's very similar. And that at that point last year, I said, there's probably going to be some inflation over uh, the next 12 months. And fast forward to today, uh, <laughs> you had the April uh, inflation print well above uh, the Fed's expectations at 4.2%. And that's using the CPI, which is a manipulated metric and doesn't really uh, capture real uh, inflation. You just look at the price of lumber, the price that's, of copper. That's why it's like yeah. hard because I think a lot of people, yeah. you know, it's hard to discover like what, how the inflation is actually playing out. So let's think of like some easy examples. Like that's why I like, oh, I yeah, really like, like Michael Saylor. Yeah, like he, he busts out these like, uh, what do you call it? Analogies, analogies or, that or are metaphor, like very yeah. metaphors that are really common day. Like I think of like my parents, they brought a property um, down the road for $40,000 um, 35 years ago or so. And today that property without the house would probably be worth like, you know, 600,000 at least. 20X, it's 2000% like. Uh, yeah so i just think like trying to help people like stretch their mind in that what how does it look like in every day like how does that affect us in the everyday your your grocery bills go up your the cost of energy goes so look at gas prices right now so what we did is we shut down the economy and we basically borked the supply chain and economies are very complex you can't just turn them on and off they're not a light switch so that's this is a good analogy the economy is not a light switch you can't turn it on and then turn it off and then just expect to turn it on and everything to go back to the way it was. These are very complex systems with um, very uh, granular processes that happen at different parts of the economy to make the end products that we use today. So like housing being one of them, one of them, like when you shut down the economy last year and the lumber mill shut down, they sent all their workers home uh, and that creates a supply crunch for lumber. And then you have people want to buy homes, renovate homes, and they're getting money airdropped into their bank accounts. And so they're uh, competing for scarcer goods. And we're not cutting down as many trees and making as many two by fours um, with more and more money. So that's naturally as they compete for that good that's becoming scarcer because people aren't uh, in the mills to actually make more, it's going to make the price skyrocket. And lumber prices at their peak were up like 2000% <laughs> since last July. Uh, I think. Wow. Uh, as early as this month. Um, so that's why you could buy like a, a stack of two by fours beginning of last year, for, I believe for like two seventy nine. today it's like $13, which is like, Oh my gosh. And that's that's, that's the inflation. And, and you're seeing this a lot, like at the grocery store, um, beef prices are going up, uh, wheat, soybean prices are going up. Um, and so that, that makes cereal bread more expensive my yeah so i think it's yeah. like this just gets my mind thinking of like i think a lot of people are on one hand they're scared for their health because of the way they've been communicated to um in particular so the fear is like building up building up building up so yes like let's close down the economy let's roll with it like this sounds like a great idea for the sake of our health but, but like then the you look at the other end of the spectrum and a lot of the people who are living month to month 
um, dollar to dollar, like they're literally living off their next paycheck. So they get their, their money, the stimulus, but then they're never going to be able to get on the other side of that because now everything costs that much more. So they're pushing them down, pushing them down, pushing them down. And that's what like makes me so sad is it's just, it's forcing people into desperation. And, and, and like, yeah. really. and then on top of that, like, like the past week, we've seen all this FUD around Bitcoin where fear, misunderstanding and doubt, and doubt about, yeah. So like, why would, there's all this from higher up authorities are saying like Bitcoin is ah, like, it's, it's nothing like you, you're not going to be able to get it. it. So like people, I feel like they almost trust too much of what these higher up people are saying. So it's, so I like these podcasts and things like this need to get out there and be like, inform people and let people know, like, this is a, a tool for you that is, going to help you <laughs> that you can access very easily right and that's so that's the other yeah. thing the critical this may seem harsh but critical thinking is lacking these days people allocate decision making to authorities and just take what they say at face value but like again and so this is i'm uh, i turned 30 in a couple weeks which is hard to believe so i was uh i was 10 when 9 11 happened i was a senior in high school when 2008 happened and um, I've grown up in, in the era, in a very particular era and very crucial parts of my life. These, uh, these, um, what's the word to describe them? Um, very, uh, pivotal, moments. pivotal, yeah, pivotal moments, but like even more than that, like very like societal moving, like crazy events have happened at very impressionable points in my life when I was 10. I remember how emotional, uh, everybody was around 9-11 and then like i remember i was going to middle school and like and they were like get drilling up ginning us all up as like 10 11 12 year old kids to go to war with iraq and then fast forward eight years and it's like oh maybe the pretenses for going to that war were were false like there were no weapons of mass destruction like uh saddam hussein had nothing to do with 9-11 and uh, we, we completely went over and bombed a foreign land and killed millions of people under false pretenses. Then you fast forward to 2008 and the financial system collapse collapses. And then you see the, the stimulus after that, the TARP bill, you just had politicians politicking and, and trying to get favors that they want to pass for, for their localities in at, at a crucial time uh, in, in the in America, like when the financial system was potentially collapsing and every, everybody was politicizing some these things. And then going on to college and studying economics and then working at a fund, a trade of currency market, the part of that job was following central banks, the Federal Reserve, Bank of Japan, ECB, you name it, around the world, uh, and doing that for a few years and, and hearing these, these people who were supposed to have very fine control over the monetary system of the world, the monetary systems of the world, and just taking what they say year after year and they're never they're making these projections they're never hitting them they're they're kicking the can down the road they're they're proving to to actually not be competent in what they're supposed to be achieving so for me personally i've been uh very jaded by the traditional system whether it be uh, the government that wants to go to war um or the financial mention, we're still in war in the middle east yeah. and like still killing millions of innocent people yeah and so that's what it, that's, that should not be happening. Yeah, and they and they masquerade everything. They hide, everything's very hush hush under the table. Um, don't worry, we've got this under control. You can't audit anything that's going on. You don't know where any of the money's going. You don't know what's being done in in your name as a taxpayer. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I've been drawn to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's very transparent. You can audit the rules for yourself. You can literally go into the code and read it for yourself and understand how it works and have certainty of how it will work. So juxtaposed with the the system that's uh, consistently lied to me and, and doesn't allow me to to audit it growing up, Bitcoin is the exact opposite. And that's what draws me to it. And that's what I think the world needs personally um, is something, a more open system like that, that is fair for everybody. Mm. I like well, that. Yeah, Fairness good. and money yeah. is like going to bring so much more freedom for everyone too. And just be able to allow people to get out from underneath that financial suppression. Yeah, and it, and it opens up for people globally. So another episode I recorded a couple of months ago, 
gentleman named Paul Toy who's building an app called Sphinx Chat. Actually, people will be listening to this podcast on Sphinx Chat. You can listen to the podcast and stream sats as you're listening per minute. People listen if they, they want to provide uh, me value because I'm providing them value in, in terms of this interview. They, they can stream me sats and they'll listen via this app that Paul's building called Sphinx Chat. And he has another company called Stackwork. And this is basically trying to give people um, right now in Argentina and the Philippines, particularly people um, of, of basically who are not well off at all or uh, who are living in places where they don't have access to to good jobs, he's trying to give them a job in a digital world. So Stackwork, what he, what he does is he sends them phones preloaded with like a Bitcoin wallet and the Stackwork t- technology stack and they basically do these mechanical Turk um, function where they basically, so they, you know, capture where you have to go on a website, you have to point out the, the cone, the walkway, the bus, you have to like find the bus when you go on the internet before you go yeah. on a website. So mm-hmm. instead of do, like those types of companies will actually pay people to do that. So he gets them these cell phones uh, loaded with lightning wallets that accept Bitcoin and they can do this work and they get paid in Bitcoin. And so they're actually getting paid um, and being introduced to the digital economy in places where they would have no opportunities for jobs locally. So the fact that he can send them Bitcoin from the United States to the Philippines and Argentina, he's basically creating uh, a digital workforce that can access a monetary system um, from their phones. And they don't have access to bank accounts or jobs at the very least. And so not, he wouldn't be able to send uh, a wire over over banks because they don't have bank accounts. You want to be able to send Western Union because they don't have bank accounts. The fact that it's software and you can just download an app on your phone and literally have a bank account in your hand really opens up the potential, human potential around the world. All you need is a smartphone, which is becoming more prevalent and the ability to download one of these wallets. And then I imagine and hope they would have like a backup for their phone because if they lose their phone. Yeah, so right. you could, you could you could back up your Bitcoin wallet, right? Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. write down your phrase yeah. and um, you keep that yeah. to your, your phone. Keep the phone yeah. I was already stressing over it. their cell phones. I'm like, <laughs> don't rely on your cell phone or you're losing uh, it all. <laughs> that's so cool. I feel like there's a natural overlay. Like you're a surfer, we're surfers. I, I feel like the surfing community and Bitcoin community like fit naturally. But maybe it's because like we travel to all these third world countries and we see, we see um, the poverty, we see the the need for something like Bitcoin in the world, and it's like it's for everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, particularly what Paul's doing at Stackwork, right? You get that phone, so uh, cool. you get a job, but then you get access to like social media and the internet, so you're able to actually teach yourself things like on the side, like after work, like you're you're opening up incredible possibilities to these people just because we live in the internet age the information age and so that's another way to describe bitcoin right like it is just another layer a missing layer that's been missing on the internet stack again we described earlier the internet's an open system that allows you to exchange uh, information bitcoin's an open system and allows you to exchange value um the internet was actually designed when it was originally designed in like the 70s and 80s uh there was intention to have a native payments layer in the internet, but there was never a technology to make it possible. So if you go to a website, you know the 404 error, and you go, it's like 404 error, the, this server does not have this piece of information. I go back oh, to yeah. So that's a HTTPS error that they, they don't have the files that you're requesting from the browser. There's something known as a 402 error, which is a payments error um, that's never been utilized because there's never been a native, a native payment layer of the internet until Bitcoin, since Bitcoin is an open... Uh-huh system so so it actually uh fills in uh in a part of the internet stack that's been missing for decades but was originally thought of when they were first de- designing the internet and that native payments layer opens up the possibility for for crazy things uh, again like you could you're talking about like so for your blog for instance um if you wanted to put if you wanted to monetize your blog you could literally put a half a penny paywall on it that's lightning network enabled bitcoin enabled it says you can't access this content unless you give me five cents worth of Bitcoin or half a penny worth of Bitcoin. Not a lot of money um, in one go, but in aggregate, if you get thousands of people reading your blogs, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, that adds up. So it also incentivizes people to make good content and allow people to access it very cheaply. 
um, and you can do that over the internet. But you have to get everyone doing that though, or yeah. to be able to enter that in, right? Yeah, um, and it takes time. Um, so eventually, it'll be like really rad. But yeah. for now, <laughs> patience. Patience is key. Like I remember, uh, gosh, I was like, I had to be like seven or eight years old downloading AOL for my family. I uh, got like a free AOL disc on the back of the Backstreet Boys Millennium album. And, uh, and we had to I had download AOL and it was dial up and things. So that was what, 99, 2000, uh, 22 years ago. And look what we're doing now. Like we're video conferencing um, right. from halfway around the world. Bitcoin's 12 years old. I think, yeah, you'll be surprised with how quickly it happens. I'm not going to say it's going to happen tomorrow or next year or five years from now, but um, the the ability to build on top of Bitcoin's protocol uh, and and extend the protocol to just inject it into things that we do in our everyday lives, like content, um, is is becoming more and more apparent to more and more people. Um, so it's just going to take time. Like I said earlier, it's not all going to come out of the box. Um, the, yeah. the potential's there. The, the software is there. It's just going to take time for people to, to find it and start building it out. Exciting. So, well, we got we to gotta jump off here in a minute, but it's been awesome chatting with you and Marty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I get <laughs> in the weeds. I've actually been told I'm a bad Bitcoin 101. My wife, she gets disappointed <laughs> in me. No, not. I was talking with a, uh, a girlfriend of a Bitcoiner the other day, and I was like, yeah, we should do like a basic, basic, like, have you come on the podcast with me and just get real like basic for everyone (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i feel like we didn't answer all the questions but maybe we sparked some interest and that's like where it has to start you gotta like just get Mm. some interest going and then people can go on their own journey totally and i think to distill it bitcoin is freedom in the digital age this is what i like to tell people like we, we either get a digital panopticon where all of our Financial tracks at transactions are tracked. You can only spend money where the authorities want you to spend money. You can you, they're allowed to print the money at at will. You have no control or or say in the matter. Or you get a a system built on on Bitcoin, which is free and open source. And, and Bitcoin is about freedom. At the end of the day, freedom in the digital age. We either get the Chinese digital panopticon exported to the rest of the world or we get to fight and build this actually free and open source monetary financial system that that respects human dignity and um and really is actually true to the ideals that america and free free democracies are founded on right on that was a perfect ending (laughs) we shall hodl and we shall keep spreading the word well if Anybody has any questions they want to ask me, my DMs are open. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for doing what you do. I mean, you're a huge inspiration. We didn't even get into surfing, but that's another thing. If you're trying to sell it to like a, a surfing uh, crowd, it's like Bitcoin and the ocean are both humbling experiences. Like Bitcoin forces you to learn and ask these hard questions about money and the ocean forces you to ask these hard questions about life and uh, really helps you <laughs> realize that you're a human and and your your mother nature is a strong beast that should be respected. Um, similarly, Bitcoin uh, is a humbling experience. It changes you more than you're ever going to change it. And similar to um, how the ocean changes you when you when you surf a lot and you, you understand its power and uh, the intricacies of that. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's they're both very humbling. <laughs> yeah. Even uh, after thirty years of surfing, I'm still like humbled by the ocean and feel like I got a lot to learn still <laughs> and I'm like still so much to learn about Bitcoin but I'm stoked I'm finally yeah. going down that realm uh, now I've got like the juice Bitcoin and energy too Bitcoin is the currency of energy which is a good thing um, it takes scarce energy resources and turns them into a scarce digital good which is memorial memorialized on this ledger which is actually beautiful from a conversation uh, conservationist perspective, you're you're conserving these scarce energy resources in this digital asset that that holds value into perpetuity. Um, so you're respecting uh, the Earth's natural resources as well. Um, but you two have to go. I can't keep rambling. Thank you. This was I thought I was going to be asking. All oh the- wait, now you left everyone with questions about the environmental side, which the mainstream news is pushing yeah. heavily lately. Um, 
Maybe so, I should finish with a quick chime on that. All right. Here's the spiel. So I, I work for a Bitcoin mining company and we use natural gas as our um, source, our energy source. But our, the natural gas that we use is typically flared or wasted on oil fields. So when you poke a hole in the ground, oil comes out, gas comes out. You can't always get that gas to market to a pipeline. They literally just set it on fire and send it to the atmosphere. And there's a lot of methane leak, which is a stronger greenhouse gas and CO2. You can't control the leak because of the wind. And so we show up and we say, hey, you're just going to waste that gas, sell to us for dirt cheap. We're going to pipe it to these EPA certified uh, uh, generators and use it to mine Bitcoin. We're going to take that gas that's wasted and we're going to turn it into the scarce digital good in Bitcoin. Um, so we're, we're helping to conserve uh, pollution and waste uh, upstream in the oil and gas market. But around um, the world too, Bitcoin miners are incentivized to find the lowest cost electricity, which happens to be stranded or wasted electricity a lot. So Bitcoin is actually helping us become extremely energy efficient. And so that's just the first order effect. Second order effect is uh, it Bitcoin mining, uh, it ushers in a sound digital monetary system, uh, which, uh, which severely reduces the amount of misallocation of capital. So the fact that the Fed and the governments can print all this money and just send it to the banks and then the banks can go give the loans out to new businesses, like there's no opportunity cost for spending money. And so like you can just print money, give it to people, and then they'll, <laughs> they'll go take that money and use it on things that take energy and, and hurt the environment. So under a Bitcoin standard, you can't just do that. You, ha you have to weigh the opportunity cost of investing in, in something that may be wasteful, may not pan out, versus something that's actually advantageous and additive to society. So the first order effect is it, it finds wasted energy and uses that to secure the network. And then the second is it secures this sound digital, excuse me, the sound monetary system in the digital world that actually will reduce waste by reducing capital misallocation that's enabled by the fact that they can just print money and give it to people to do things that probably otherwise wouldn't be um, uh, invested in. Boom. <laughs> I practiced this. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> right on. All right, we got to run, but Okay, thanks, Marty. Awesome. Good Maybe we'll hit you up if we're in Ocean City area yeah. sometime. I would love that. We can uh, we can surf. Oh. Definitely. All right. Take care, man. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.